It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, November the 20th. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get this show on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or whatever podcasting service you desire. If there's one that I'm not on, shoot me a note, and I'll see what I can do to get it on. Uh, hope everybody's doing well. Pretty raw, cold. Winter Sunday. It's really the fall, but this is the first sign that uh, the pretty mild fall we've had here in New York is uh, coming to an end. Pretty nasty day out there, and here we are. Hopefully, you're uh, nice and toasty listening to this uh, hot stove edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Joining me in uh, just a little bit, Michael Mayer. Michael writes for uh, Mets Miners and MetsMorizedOnline.com, and has a lot to say about the Mets 40-man roster. We started talking about some of the maneuverings of the Mets 40-man roster this past summer when we did a, a kind of a mid-season report on the prospects and what have you, and, and you saw the Mets roster is now jam-filled at 40. Mets protected five individuals, including their top prospect. I don't think it's really arguable. Ahmed Rosario, probably their shortstop for the future. Uh, Thomas Nitto and um, a couple of right-handed pitchers. Among the uh, those who were added, who potentially could be plucked in the Rule Five Draft, and that's going to be even more important this year, I think, the Rule Five Draft, because there's reports that in a new collective bargaining agreement, the rosters will be expanded to 26, which is a a far cry from when things used to be uh, when it came to baseball when. You had to, uh, yeah, at one point in the 80s, I think you had a choice between 24 or 25 players, and most of the teams elected to go with 24. Think about that. They forego a roster spot. Now, that's a different era when it came down to uh, starters pretty much going seven, eight innings. You didn't need six or seven-man bullpens, but they forego to save money, and now you may be adding a roster spot, which is uh, at least the league minimum salary. So think about it. It's about a half million dollars you know, times that by 30. So that's, that's the payroll that you're adding out there. Benefits and, and, and per deem and all the other things that come with that. In exchange, there may be a limitation to what could happen in September where teams might only be allowed to bring up two extra players to 28 or maybe they'll have some kind of a taxi squad scenario. So the point being that this rule, you know, we're going to talk about the 40-man roster We'll get into the top 10 prospects, the first list, the baseball perspectives list came out. Uh, a little bit about the AFL, the Arizona Fall League just ending. Uh, Gavin Ciccini is, uh, has, been, has been playing in there. Maybe we'll get Michael to give us an update. I know he's been following that closely. Or any other member of the Mets organization that potentially stood out during the Fall League, um, You know, since that's really where some of these guys start to really make their impression for 2017. And, and I know that some people have been talking about Tim Tebow, but that's just that's just ESPN nonsense. I mean, the meat and potatoes is looking at guys like Ciccini and potentially some of these individuals that I mentioned that were added to the 40-man roster that could be plucked. So think about it. You have a 26 spot. You could just stash. You could do a lot of different things. You could stash a pinch runner type. You could stash a rule five pick. Because you've been playing with 25. Now, not to say that you're not going to be, you know, if you're at a disadvantage if if other teams are using it, but you can use it where it could also be a developmental position if you have the right 26th man, and that's where the Rule 5 draft, where you have to keep these players on the roster the whole year, comes into play. So you have to really be strategic. The roster maneuvering game has become a game within a game right now. That's the amazing part about it. So 
it's never a dull moment. And a lot of times, these shows like this, these niche podcasts that, that what we do here on the Talking Mets podcast are more fun during the offseason because you can play general manager and there's more news. You're not just talking about the monotony of the uh, MLB season. But anyway, we'll get into that with Michael Mayer. He's, uh, he's one of the best. He's been a great contributor, a friend of the show. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from him in just a little bit. Of course, the news this week, big league side, Neil Walker's back, accepted the qualifying offer when I had Matt Aholt of the – or Eholt, I should say. I shouldn't say Aholt. Eholt. I keep saying his name wrong. Eholt. Matt Eholt of the record. He was on the fence. I, I felt it was looking kind of good because you didn't hear about any long-term extension with Walker. I don't know how the rest of the, the league would have, would have opened up a multi-year deal for an individual coming off back surgery. I heard Sandy Alderson on WOR. He seems confident that Walker's going to come back and be the same player that he was before the surgery. So, look, the Mets are not about to allow their you know, their payroll to absorb a $17 million second baseman who, in fairness, is really not worth that when it's all said and done. I mean, Neil Walker, a you know, good player and what have you, but $17 million, he's probably more a $10, $12 million player you know, when it's all said and done. So you're overpaying him, but you're only paying him for a year. That's really what um, what it really comes down to. So I really have no issues with that. I think he's a good second baseman. Look, everybody likes to talk about Dale, uh, Daniel Murphy, and certainly the Mets missed the MVP-type bat, or in the case, you know, now that the MVP vote is in, the near-MVP-type bat that Neil Walker provided. And... um and all that, but he, I mean, that Daniel Murphy provided for the Washington Nationals, but the up-the-middle defense that the Mets displayed in comparison to 2015 is one of the major reasons they were able to navigate this season and make the playoffs. If you really think about it, Daniel Murphy and William Wilmer Flores up the middle is so bad, the fact that the Mets made the World Series and should have won the World Series with those two guys a year ago is amazing. It tells you how good the pitching staff is, and it helps when you have a pitching staff with a lot of swings and misses and strikeouts. But that also, that middle infield is one of the reasons why they didn't win the World Series with the Murphy era, but I've said that about a billion times. Interestingly enough about Walker, as I was talking about the $17 million and what it's worth and whether it's worth it, yada, yada, on that whole scenario, if you go to Fangraphs, and I don't know how they figured this out, but they put almost like a dollar value versus the wins above replacement that a player is. And Neil Walker actually, almost every year of his career, except his first couple of years, has been worth $17 plus million. So last year he was worth $30 million. I don't know how they figure that out. I don't know if I'm reading it wrong. Fangraphs.com, I mean, forget it. I'm not going to even try to do that math because there's some players who have negative dollar values. So they owe the team money. So maybe there isn't an overpay. Maybe the Mets looked at $17 million as a bargain, considering that based on his performance last year. He was uh, he was worth nearly thirty million dollars, so that means probably Murphy's worth sixty. If you really think about it, so Neil Walker back uh, rule five. We talked about that, and then um, you have um, uh, the Ioannis Cespedes news, which there is actually some news. Um, you all saw the tweet last night from Matt Cerrone, who's you know works for SNY over at Mets Blog. Kind of a I don't want to say cryptic. Cryptic means bad kind of a, a tweet that was thrown out there that had some meaning behind it where it was like hashtag Cespedes, hashtag progress, which makes me think Matt's trying to throw a little bit of rumor out there without really putting himself in the fire because that's always dangerous this day and age with uh, the rumor mill game, which could cause so much controversy. But anyway, Rich Mancuso of New York Sports Day 
who was on the ball with reporting the whole Cespedes situation. Perhaps he's got some kind of hook inside the Jay-Z, Rock Nation, CAA, Brody Van Wenigen uh, camp over there. Seems to believe that it's going to come down to four teams. Thinks the Mets are 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 the leader of the pack. You know, the Cespedes is trying to get this thing done. It could get done before Thanksgiving. The latest, the winter meetings. And uh, unlike last year where these two camps flirted with each other, but it was like it, if only everything fell into place, there would be a reunion. There's a serious connection here that these two sides want to get a deal done. And you could hear from Sandy Alderson on WR this week that that's something that the Mets want to do. Now, I said when it started, when this whole hot stove started, one of my first podcasts a couple of weeks ago was go out, make your best offer, put it on the table, get it done early. If it doesn't happen, move on. If And some of the other teams that you hear, San Francisco, Toronto, are two teams that are out there. Maybe Washington getting thrown in the fray. If those teams decide to blow away a four-year offer, which it sounds like that's what the Mets are willing to do, four years, let's say four years, $100 million, maybe it comes out to be a little bit more. You can always put little bells and whistles to get the value uh, a little bit higher, maybe it backloaded a little bit if they need a little bit more uh, budgetary room now, uh, this year. It all depends. I think the Mets have more flexibility as they get a little deeper into it than they do now, but they're going to need to pay these pitchers, so we know that. And if it and if it, it can't be a meeting of the minds to come to an agreement by the winter meetings, you've got to move on. Jose Batista's name came up. I know Sandy Olison mentioned maybe complimentary players. See, I don't want them to go that route. When you have like a Steve Pierce who hits left-handed pitching, it's a dangerous route to go because when you have a Cespedes, Who's an impact? Dynamic bat. No matter what you say, no matter how he annoys you with some of his mercurial, mercurial ways, the golf, not wanting to run balls out, when his legs hurt, he doesn't want to slide. There's a lot of dopey things he does. You can't replace it with a platoon. It goes back to when they passed. It's oh, you know, you learn from history. What I'll tell you on this on this podcast, you always learn from history, because no matter what it ha- has happened or what will happen, it's happened at some point to another team and probably the Mets. When the Mets passed on Vlad Guerrero, when it was a very reasonable contract, when Anaheim swooped in and, and signed him in 2003, they decided to go a different route. Well, let's bring in Kareem Garcia and Shane Spencer and try to put together this platoon. And there was all this talk about if you put their numbers together, it's Vlad Guerrero. It's not. They're platoon players, and they're, they're not full-time players for a reason, and they get exposed in some way, shape, or form. Carlos Beltran in his prime was Carlos Beltran. You can't put two or three players together to create Carlos Beltran. This is not a, a derivatives game. I know you try. And look, there's something to be said by having a balanced team. You don't want to go overboard and just have, you know, stars at every position. Because sometimes that doesn't work, even though you want that. you you got to have players that fit within the lineup. It's not a, a fantasy baseball team. But the point is here, I trust this sourced material from New York Sports Day. Because he, Mancuso showed last year. Maybe we'll try to get Mancuso on the show in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Mancuso showed that he had something there because he was the one to jump on last late January. Hey, this this Cespedes thing is going to happen. This is going to this is where the momentum is. Whenever no one else had it, so I'm going to trust it. You know, MetsmerizedOnline.com uh, linked it. You have the Cerrone tweet. So there's a lot of momentum here for Cespedes. I think it's going to get done. Now I don't know anything. Could somebody in the 11th hour, as you get closer to the winter meetings, 
throw a haymaker and, and throw a six or seven year deal possible. But I just don't see that happening in this case. Matty Holt made a great point last week. What has really changed in the resume of Uena Cespedes from last year? He gave you the exact same type of year. If you're not sold on him now, or you weren't really sold on him last year, there's nothing he did this year to sell you more on him. And I think the general consensus is that, you know, sure he would help San Francisco. Sure he would help Toronto. He just signed Kendry Morales to be their DH. I don't know that $11 million deal, if that impacts anything. I think it might impact more the rumors from uh, Jim Bowden that of uh, ESPN that uh, maybe Jay Bruce was a, an option for the Blue Jays. That's probably more of an impact there. So um, I think the Cespedes-Mets marriage makes more sense than anything. And I go back to how they signed Piazza. It just made sense for both sides. It was a good fit for Mike. It was a good fit for the Mets. And I think this is, I mean, you hear the Yankees. I mean, you got to have a good fit. Cespedes started out in Oakland. He seemed to be playing well and comfortable there. But then he went to Boston and he didn't play well. Then he signed with Detroit. He got traded with the Mets. He's had, he had that period where there's all this uncertainty. And then last year he had uncertainty almost up until February 1. So I'm sure this is a guy that says, hey, I want to know where I'm going to be for the next three, four years. The, the, the mindset of the agents and the players, it used to be, especially post-banking collapse, and even before that, is let's drag the offseason out get as many offers as possible, start to really get things going in you know, mid-January for the top players, and then sign late January or possibly early February when teams really are under the gun to make a decision. And it just makes it hard to build a roster. And I think the Mets were fortunate because their plan really got blown up with Zobris last year. And if they didn't sign Cespedes late January, they, let me tell you, that team would have been hurting. That was probably a second division club. Pitching or no pitching, if they didn't sign Cespedes. So, um, all signs point to some kind of happy news, maybe sooner rather than later. We'll see. Maybe we'll have news this week. If we do, we'll definitely have a special edition or some sort of show for the Talking Mets podcast. If not, you know, I'm sure there's going to be plenty to talk about as uh, the Mets get to the winter meetings. It'll be interesting. There was another piece of news before we, we take a break and get to Michael Mayer, where Brett Cecil, lefty reliever from Toronto, signed a big deal, a four-year deal with the Cardinals. Close to uh, you know eight million dollars a year, almost thirty million dollars, which could potentially blow up the market for relief pitching. And uh, specifically now, you got Jerry Blevins, a lefty reliever, out on the market. Now a couple of things about Cecil, younger, maybe they view him as someone who could close in St. Louis. Blevins is a little bit older now. I know Blevins was a crossover this year. He could get lefties and righties out. That was a little bit different than what historically he's been able to do. But I will say this, and this happened, and I said this, I think, in a prior podcast a couple of weeks ago, maybe even last week. The weeks kind of fly by and blend together. Sports is a copycat league. and The postseason comes and somebody does something well and is successful and wins. Other teams try to do it. I always tell you how back in 2003 when the Marlins won, with Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo at the top of the lineup. Everybody says, well, you got to get speed again. Speed is back in vogue. And then the following year, the Red Sox win with on-base percentage of power, and everybody switched their, their mindset. No one, no one remembered the speed and the contact that was in vogue the, the, the offseason before. So now bullpens are in vogue. Bullpens have always been in vogue. Bullpens are important. In, in an era of the sport where guys go six innings, you have to have a strong bullpen. So everyone's like going to probably overpay for relievers when, in fact, 
you really could develop a lot of your middle relieving with maybe pitchers who aren't starters that are successful, i.e. Jerry's familiar. He was a starter in the minor leagues. I don't think you have to go $8, $9 million a year to fill up a bullpen in the middle relief unless they are a closer or a top flight. You know, Now you get to the really top flight. We'll get more than that. That's the Chapmans and the Kenley Jansons of the world. But uh, you know, there's some reports that maybe Chicago with their fire sale may be willing to dump the David Robertson. He's making about $12 million a year over the next couple of years. I don't know if the Mets will go that route. I'd love to see someone like that. Although his walk and strikeout rate really regressed this past year. I'm not sure. Maybe there was an injury. Maybe he was playing for a bad team. There's a lot of things that go into the numbers. I mean, you don't see a player play every day. But I think you're going to see an overvaluing of relief pitchers now because everyone thinks they're going to get Andrew Miller. And not everybody's Andrew Miller. I think Andrew Miller is a very special player. Failed starter, failed top prospect, comes back, turns himself into an, a, a lights-out reliever. Chapman, a guy that, you know, it's, it's not a common situation out there. So you can't just look at what the Indians and the Cubs did, specifically the Indians with Miller more so, because Chapman, I think they started to run on fumes when they were going multiple innings there as the World Series wore on. You, you know, so there, you, if, if it comes down to Jerry Blemons gets a three-year deal worth 18 to $20 million, God bless you, Jerry, take it, move on. I don't think the Mets are going to go that route because I think they would regret something like that. The Mets are still very much about value. I think they're behaving more like a big market team, but I think that relief pitching will be the one component of this offseason that will get very overvalued, maybe overpaid for in the market, when in fact you can probably look within your organization for a lot of quality arms, which the Mets have done with Familia, uh, who's their closer, and, and, and has done. And at one point it was Mejia, too, who was a failed starter, was a closer. There could be some components to that. you got Robert Gazelman. You don't even know what Zach Wheeler is going to be about. You don't know if Zach Wheeler is going to be a, a starter. Can he hold up starting every fifth day? Is the bullpen eventually in his, in his best interest down the road? And here's a wild card for you guys with this whole theoretic outlet syndrome, TOS, probably mispronounced it. Who knows? But Matt Harvey, part of that uh, ailment was not being able to go deep into games. If he doesn't fix that, does he then become somebody? that has to make an adjustment. Uh, just throwing it out there. I'm, sh- I'm not saying that that's where they should go. So anyway, the point is, don't overvalue relievers. There's a lot that um, there's a lot that can be built within. Of, of course, if a value quality reliever, and I think bringing back Fernando Salas is something the Mets should seriously do. However, the 40-man roster is jam-packed, and, and they're going to have to do some more maneuvering before that's out. And that's what We'll talk about with Michael Mayer of uh, MetsMorizeOnline.com, Mets Miners as well, and he'll be up in just a minute. So anyway, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizeOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcasting service you desire. If there's one that I'm not on, let me know. Send me a note. We'll be back right after this. Walker drills one down the right field line. Deep toward the corner. This one has a chance, and it's gone. A home run. Walker clapping his hands as he touches home plate. You probably just heard that. Walker on loads deep to left field. Back goes Davis for a look, and that ball's gone. And he hit that ball out of sight. Bang in the air deep. Right field. This ball soaring. This ball is gone. Bill Walker. La pelota. Esteban. 
Flicks this one out to left field. That's deep back toward the corner. Low, and it's out of here. You know, I knew he had power. I didn't know he had that kind of power to left field. That was pretty impressive. And he drives this one deep to left field. This one's going a long way. A home run for Neil Walker. Little cutter in, and he didn't miss it. High drive, deep left field. Walker looking for another to the track at the wall. He's got another. Six for the year for the Pittsburgh import. That's drilled deep right field down the line. That ball is out of here. What a bullet. He hit seven homers quite famously in his last 16 games as a Met. Here's Walker with seven in his first 16. Walker swings, drives it well. Right field, got a shot. Deep and gone! He hit another one! Neil Walker, a winning player, coming to a winning team. And he has gotten off to a tremendous start for his new ball club. Walker in the air to center field. To the warning track at the wall. Did he do it again? He did. Neil Walker, Carlos Delgado, 2006. John Buck in 2013. Whatever you do when you get up in the morning, don't change it. This is incredible. We're back. Talking Mets podcast here, and as promised, I have with us a uh, friend of the show, Michael Mayer. You can check him out on Twitter, at the Main Mets. Does a lot of great work at MetsMarsOnline.com, prospects, 40-man, whatever. There's, there's a bunch of stuff, so go check him out. Michael, uh, happy to have you. Uh, how you doing, my friend? Great. Happy to be uh, back with you again. Perfect timing. I know we had talked about getting together a couple of weeks ago doing a segment. I'm glad we waited a lot going on. I want to start out with the 40-man roster, which is now fully at 40. I have a suspicion there'll be some other uh, subtractions on uh, on this roster. You know, you said during the summer, I'll give you credit, we started talking about this, if I remember, back in July or August or maybe earlier. The Mets' 40-man's tricky, and you saw with the additions. They added Ahmed Rosario, Marcus Molina, Wilmot Bis- Sarah, Chris Flexen, and Thomas Nito to the roster. They left off a number of players that potentially could help and may find their way to another team this year. Give me your thoughts about who they protected from the Rule 5 and, you know, maybe some of the uh, individuals that you're concerned that, that, that maybe that were left off and that potentially could go and make an impact somewhere else. Yeah, the reality is that the Mets have, the Mets have built some good minor league depth and built a good 40-man roster. So there wasn't they weren't going to be able to protect everyone that they necessarily wanted to or needed to. So, I mean, you got guys like Paul Seawald, who's been nothing but great in the Mets minor league system as a reliever, and there's a really good chance that he's he'll get drafted and pitch in the sixth, seventh inning for someone kind of like uh, Matt Bowman did for the Cardinals this year. He's definitely one name to keep an eye on. Another one that could get drafted is Philip Evans, an infielder who actually won the Eastern League batting title for the Binghamton Mets this year. Um, and he's playing in uh, Puerto Rico right now and hitting well there, too. And that's one of the last places these scouts get a chance to look at these guys to see if they're going to get picked. Uh, just last year, the Baltimore Orioles took uh, Joey Ricard in the Rule 5 draft, and they, they said in, in an interview afterwards that watching him in winter ball and what he did in winter ball was one of the reasons that they took him. So that's he's another name to keep an eye on for sure. The, uh, and the one that, here's something. 
let me throw you something. The rumors that there might be a 26th man added to the roster this year, now that's not confirmed, makes it easier to pick these guys and stash them, especially if you're a bad team. Sorry to interrupt, but I think that's important to throw out there. No, it is, too. I've, I've mentioned that a couple of times on Twitter because that, that'll that certainly add some intrigue to the Rule 5 because, I mean, you have to imagine with teams having one more spot that they're more likely to go out and take a chance on a guy in the Rule 5. I mean, why not it for a season? I mean, you're, you're kind of looking at like a free spot almost. So I, I definitely think that if that happens, it will impact the Rule 5. I have with me Michael Mayer, uh, MetsmorizedOnline.com. Uh, Seawald is interesting because you would wonder if they could have maybe removed an Eric Goodell or someone along that along those lines. You're right; he's had some good numbers. Why do you think they did, they went the route to leave him unprotected? Do you? I mean, he was in the wasn't he pitching in the Arizona Fall League? And uh, is it that they well, who they have now is better? Because you know I've never been overly uh, crazy about uh, Goodell, and you have Logan Verrett. I know he's a starter, so that may not be. You have uh, Sean Gil Martin. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I know that he pitched well a couple of years ago, but you had some options that you could have removed other individuals to protect Seawold. And you mentioned Bowman. Bowman's nothing crazy, uh, but he's a very serviceable middle reliever, and he's cheap. And those, you know, that we saw the Brett Cecil contract. I know that's a lefty, but that might be uh, there's some value there. Yeah, I was. I was less surprised than I think I should have been with Seawalt because if they really had the intention of adding him, they probably would have done it in September when they could have used him to pitch a couple innings. So I think more disappointed was how I felt with Seawalt because I, I mean, he, I call him the TJ Rivera of pitchers because he's he's a little bit older, but all he's done is produce in the minor leagues. All he's done is pitch well. So, well, one of the things that holds him back. And I know he hates hearing it. I actually did an interview with him recently, and we talked about it. Is his velocity? He only throws about ninety, ninety-one. So that's—I mean—that's one of the knocks on him. But it, it hasn't held him back. He's got a great slider. He's got one of the best sliders in the Mets minor league system. And all he's done is pitch well. I guess the thing I would say about Eric Goodell, Sean Gilmartin, Logan Brett—it it wouldn't be a really a spot he's taking. He wouldn't take one of their spots. It would be more of one of the guys they protected because. You can only add so many of those guys to the 40 to protect from the Rule 5 because now they're full. So Gil Martin, Goodell, Barrett, Montero, those are the type of guys that are going to have to be removed when you sign free agents because the Mets are going to sign, you would have to think, at least two or three guys that are going to need a spot on the 40. Yeah, no, Ioannis Cespedes is probably one of those guys. I want to get to maybe a couple of non-tenders that we could look at, but – Marcus Molina, right-handed pitcher, uh, everyone's saying you know, one of the top pitching prospects in the organization. I'm not as familiar with Chris Flexen. I mean, the numbers – I mean, I know Molina had Tommy John. The numbers for Flexen just don't jump, and I know in the minor leagues that doesn't mean a hill of beans. But uh, why Flexen? Why add him to the roster knowing that probably a Seawald will be more you know, able to help them in 2017? I know it's not just about 2017, but, you know, I just was curious. I mean, are they that concerned that a guy like that, maybe because of that whole extra roster spot, potential extra roster spot, um, is going to get plucked? Yeah, I really think with Seawald and guys like Kevin McGowan and Philip Evans, Ricky Knapp being left off and them protecting Molina, Becerra, and Flexen, they were, they were really looking to protect the long-term potential guys, which is Flexen. I mean, He's, the numbers aren't great, but the stuff is pretty good. He's 
He's got a fastball in the mid-90s, and he's got a very good breaking ball. So I guess you could envision a team taking him and putting him in the bullpen. I mean, when you have a fastball like he does and a good curveball, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to pitch at a major league bullpen when you have two good pitches like that. So I guess they envision that. And he also he was one of the players that was in the original Jay Bruce trade before it's believed that his medicals were the ones that actually nixed it. But um, I think they just went long-term potential when they went protecting guys this time instead of guys like Seawald and Evans that may help sooner but don't have the ceiling that some of the younger guys do. Do you think, you hear some rumors that Rene Rivera will be non-tendered and a couple million bucks. I like Rene Rivera. I think he did some nice things. And I think a lot of his uh, charm is more due to the inabilities of both Plowicki and, and Darno to really stand out this year. Neto's 22. I know he just played in high A, but we saw Jesus Flores a few years ago jump. Understand with Washington, who was in a, in a bad place at that time. Any chance as you know, you go into the season with, with Darno and Plowicki, it seems like the Mets, and a lot could change, of course, are comfortable giving Darno another year. Does Nittel worm his way in at some point? Is it possible? Is that way too p- premature? I I think it's pretty premature with Nito. I I like him a lot, and it's not just the offensive numbers he put up this year. He really improved on defense. A lot of the um, pitchers I talked to from the St. Lucie staff love throwing to him, calls a good game, and he actually threw out 42% of uh, base dealers this year. So I like him, but I still think I think he's he'll start in Binghamton this year probably play the full year there. So I think next year is really when you would start talking about him. But uh, to get back to Rivera, I think I think he's definitely a non-tender candidate because the Mets now have four catchers on the 40-man roster, which, I mean, that's not unthinkable, but a lot of teams try to keep it to three. So that, that would get him down to three if they non-tender him. And in all reality, you can probably get him back possibly on a minor league deal. So, I mean, that may be their thinking is, I don't think it's that they don't want Rivera. It's more of it would kind of help them in the wiggle room of a 40-man spot, too, and then maybe get him back on a minor league deal. Yep, and he makes sense that if you sign Cespedes, that he's the guy that goes. I mean, you look, though, I mean, now what do you do? Now, it could obviously be trades and whatnot, but, um, you know, you know, Ty Kelly you could remove from the roster. I mean, you Matt Reynolds, you you miss you risk losing these guys. Uh, you know, you and I have talked about Rafael Montero. It's just dangerous just to throw guys away. Uh, it's interesting, just there's no flexibility. So you think about it, like Kelly Johnson, maybe bringing him back, and Fernando Salas or, or another reliever bringing him them back on free agency. It'll be interesting to see where Sandy Alderson and his, and his team goes because um, there's no real easy answers here because you need depth. You have the risk of losing guys. You have the specter of an extra roster spot. The Mets, like you said, have some guys that, that show that they could step in and do a nice job. You know, these guys help them make the playoffs. Um, your gut telling you, is there anybody else that you see on this roster that you're like looking at, like, you know, maybe it's time to go because, you know, you don't want to pass up having to get a veteran like a Johnson or a Salas because you want to compete this year. Yeah, I think, like you mentioned, I think one of the first guys to go would probably be Montero. And another one is Edgen. I think he's another non-tender candidate that they they would like to keep, but don't necessarily, 
he's arbitration eligible, so they don't necessarily want to give him the little bit of bump in pay, and it would give him another 40 spot. I mean, he he did get lefties out in the majors last year, but the velocity wasn't back with Edgen, and he wasn't getting the same movement on a slider. So I think I think Edgen and Montero, the first two obvious ones. Um, I know Verrett gets knocked around because he uh, didn't pitch well as a starter, but his numbers in the bullpen are still pretty good for the Mets. So I think that that's some depth at least that they would like to hang on to, kind of in the same role as Gil Martin. So I think they would be kind of like your third and fourth guys, and. Reynolds, uh, Reynolds kind of sticks around because he's one of the better defensive shortstops that they have as an option for depth. So he kind of sticks around for that reason. But he he was pretty overmatched at the plate in the major leagues. He struck out a ton. So I think he's probably your fourth or fifth guy. And Ty Kelly, I, I don't know. He I think Ty Kelly is going to be the new Eric Campbell and lives on for <laughs> yeah, that's two right. or three years. <laughs> That's that's true. With Michael Mayer, Mets Morales online does great work covering the minor leagues. Uh, great analysis on the Mets uh, at the Maine Mets, Maine as in the state of Maine, or John Maine, and how, however you want to look at it. Uh, one last thing on the roster because I want to get, I mean, B uh, B piece uh, baseball prospectus put out the top ten prospects. Want to get to a couple other things with you before we wrap up, but um, we know about Rosario. We know about the 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 upside with him. I mean. Uh, it's hard to see unless he really busts his way through or something tragic happens with Reyes and, and Cabrera that he could find his way to the big league roster. Uh, could Wilmer Bucera as a backup outfielder? I mean, we talked about Niddle before. Is there anybody else that was just added that you think could maybe bust in and make uh, some kind of, I don't want to say impact, but could contribute in a way in 2017 for the Mets? No, I think, like I had mentioned a little bit earlier, is that all of those the five guys they added to the 40, they're all, that's all for a long-term, long-term potential. I think probably the first guy you see out of that group is Rosario because all, all the other guys were at uh, a ball this year and Rosario was in Binghamton and Rosario at some point, if he doesn't start, but at some point will definitely be in Vegas this year. So I think Rosario is probably the first guy you see out of that group. AFL, Arizona Fall League, just ended, or regular season ended, and it's, it's wrapping up here. Uh, Gavin Shashini was in there. You know, I know everybody's been talking about Tebow and what have you, and some of the other players we mentioned uh, you know, have made some appearances. Could you give an idea uh, for the listeners? How did, uh, how did Shashini, you know, what was the, the feeling about him? He's you know, now with Neil Walker coming back. I'm not sure there's a role here. Maybe he's trade bait. Obviously, Walker's only a one-year deal, so you know who knows. What are some of the other players that maybe stood out that you know are going to move up the pecking order, maybe be contributors? You know what? What did you take away from the Arizona Fall League uh, the last few weeks? Um, first of all, I'll touch on Chikini, who he said he played every game but one at shortstop, so they they didn't really go through with the fact that they he was going to play second base much. He just had one game there. So it, it's still pretty tough to get a judge of what he's capable at second, which is probably ultimately where he plays a lot next year. But uh, he he did exactly what he does with the bat. He put the ball in play, hit well. So, but he had six errors in 12 games of shortstop. So I I think part of that is he might be available uh, via trade. So other teams still wanted to see him at shortstop because obviously. 
if he can handle the position, that's where he, his offense would have more value. So, um, but another name to keep an eye on is uh, right-handed reliever Corey Taylor. He he was the closer for St. Lucie this year. Had 20 saves, ERA under two. Um, but he looked. He actually had a little extra velocity in the AFL. A couple of the games I was tracking and a couple of people that I talked to were at the game, he was hitting 96 with his fastball, and he was around 87, 88 with his slider. And he had 17 strikeouts in 14 innings. So I think Corey Taylor, who was uh, he was a seventh rounder two years ago, I think he's a name to keep an eye on that could come pretty quick. He'll start in Binghamton this year, so he's one to keep an eye on. And another one is uh, David Roseboom. He uh, he was the Binghamton closer this year after they traded Akeel Morris, and he was lights out a lefty that uh, he's not your typical lefty. He gets out lefties and righties pretty well because he throws uh, two change-ups and one's got a little screw ball action on it. So he's he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on too. And I would uh, have to talk about Champ Stewart too because he he wasn't protected from the Rule 5, although I think he would be an outside shot to get drafted, but he does have... Pinch runner, maybe? Pinch pinch runner type, if somebody wants to keep that kind of position on their roster? Yeah, and then again, that comes back into the 26th man that we were talking about. Uh, If you have 26 players, can't you carry someone on the roster that's a pinch runner slash defensive replacement, which Stewart could be. He's got 80 grade speed, and he's a great defensive center fielder, so he... He hit well. He hit 300 uh, in the AFL, but the strikeouts were there again. He struck out 23 times and um, 70 at bat. So that's the big knock on him. But uh, he tied for the lead league with 12 steals, so he's he's the best uh, speed option the Mets and the minor leagues have if he can put it together at the plate. Michael Mayer, Mets Marais Online. Uh, let's go quickly. Uh, baseball. I mean, all these prospect lists will come out. You'll have Baseball America. Uh, I'm sure MetsMarisOnline.com will do one. Everybody will do one. Uh, the Baseball Perspectives one just came out of, you know, of course, I've been Rosario number one. Robert Gazelman's on it. Thomas Zuzuki, the lefty in, from Brooklyn. You you talked about him this past summer. Dominic Smith, Desmond Lindsay, the outfielder. Uh, draft pick, right-handed pitcher Justin Dunn, uh, you know, shortstop Andres Jimenez, uh, Brandon Nimos, uh, Kichini, and, and Wilmer Becerra on there. Uh, any surprises? Anybody that you feel got slighted? Um, you know, this is always fun off-season talk. I mean, there's a million opinions. There's a million different lists. You know, sifting through them. Some of them are statistically done. Some of them are done with the, the scouting component, which is probably the right way to do it. Uh, what were your thoughts about the first, it seems like, prospect list that came out? I thought it was, I mean, it was the basic 10 names that you're looking at for the top 10. The order surprised me a little bit because a lot of people are going to have Dominic Smith number two when they had him number four behind Gazelman and Suzupuki. But, I mean, once once you get into the, the two to five range, I mean, that's all in personal preference. And then, so, and then they had Justin Dunn six, which I know, I think some people will actually have higher. But, I mean, it's a it's pretty basic list. Chikini being that low surprised me a little bit, but uh, at some point you you have to knock down his value if he can't stay at shortstop. So that's not that surprising. Uh, a couple of names that might be in some people's top ten that weren't on there was Nito, uh, the catcher we've been talking about. I think it's reasonable for some people to have him in their top ten. 
as well as uh, Peter Alonso, who was one of their draft picks this year that has serious power. Um, and they're very I high think, on him from what, uh, what what some of the writers have been saying about Alonso. Very high on him. Yes, uh, he he hit a ball out this year um, to right center field where he kind of just flipped his wrist and uh, it went out. So, I mean, he, he's got raw, raw power. It's, it, it's probably already the best power in the Mets system, so that's why some people are getting excited about him. I think maybe the reason they had him lower on their list, they had him at 19, was he's he's got a little hole in the swing, and he's really just a first base only guy. So it's you have to be you have to know about the bat if it's if there's no chance for another position. But I think Alonzo and Nitto are the two guys that probably could be in the top 10, or but they're right around there. So I don't think there was any huge surprises in their list. You mentioned. Um... Uh, maybe in an article over at Metsbars Online, you know, one of the value uh, players that um, uh, that may be out on the market, Trevor Pluth from Minnesota, third baseman. You know, really, what he does is what you would hope David Wright could probably do now. Uh, and I don't, you know, he, and Wright is such a um, a wild card because the health is so. I mean, you really, from a health perspective, are, can't expect anything from Wright, but. Poof is a guy that could hit lefties, uh, has some power. Um, you know, I don't know much about him defensively in the sense where I hadn't watched him day in and day out. Um, but um, you, you you put him out there. And then, you know, it would be remiss if I didn't put out this Brett Cecil contract because it does impact the Mets in the sense where you know, the Cardinals throw out a four-year, $30 million deal for a lefty. Uh, I mean, maybe they have some, some thoughts of him potentially closing a little bit. I know he's 29. Jerry Blevins is in his early 30s. But... It, it ties into a lot of what we talked about because you talked about maybe getting Edgen off the roster. You have Smoker, who's young but just you know did not do well against lefties when he came up later in the year. A situational lefty is so important in my opinion. Um, you know the Mets may really need to jump out and 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 break the bank a little bit, but no by no means do I think uh, you know they should give a four year deal to Jerry Blevin. So you know when you talk about a poof adding to the roster and and some of the things we said, it's it's going to be tough mainly because of David Wright, also because you don't know how this bullpen's going to shake out. Yeah, I think I think they'll have a tough time bringing back Levin, especially. Well, they the Mets had even made it known that it was going to be tough before the Cecil deal, and Cecil getting that much, well, that many years for a bullpen arm and that much money. I think I think Blevins has no problem. He could even get a three-year deal at this point. I I don't see the Mets doing that for a left-handed reliever. So I mean that that's tough to bring him back, and like you said, Smoker has he he isn't your typical loogie because he he actually does better against righties. So then, if you do non-tender Edgen or just look at how unproductive Edgen was last year, you're you're kind of looking for that left-handed reliever. And I know they have they have reportedly shown some interest in Boone Logan, so it'd be curious to see if. That's kind of their fallback to Blevins. So, and, and that's more of a Logan. Logan is more strictly lefty. At least, I mean, Blevins was that coming here, but he's been better than that since being here. So, that's just something to throw out there. You're, you're actually downgrading with Logan uh, Boone Logan because he can't get righties out, or he hasn't historically done that. Yeah. So it's I I think it's going to come down to cost when it comes to a left-handed reliever and I mean 
you don't want to have to worry about that, but you you also you have to you can't just go out and give three years, twenty million, eighteen million to a left-handed reliever. Uh, you saw how it worked out with Bastardo last year. They gave him two years, twelve million, and he had been good the prior couple of years, and it just didn't work out. It's it's a crapshoot when you get into that that type of reliever and how much money and years that you can you're comfortable giving them. Yep. And you also have the mileage. Look, when the Yankees, uh, I mean, that's an extreme case. When the Yankees paid Pedro Feliciano for a couple of years, I think it was about eight or you know twelve million dollars in the third year, might have been an option at that time. Yeah, and he didn't pitch an inning for them. Uh, you know, M- Michael. So as we wrap up, what what do you have coming up? Obviously, the winter meetings will be here uh, in just a couple of weeks. Um, you know, there may be Cespedes news sooner rather than later. Who knows? We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, you know what? What's next for you? What you know? The AFL just ended. What What do you got coming up to the listeners could know about? Well, right now, me and the rest of the writers from Mets Miners are working. Actually, we decided we we're going to be crazy this year and do a top hundred Mets prospect. So we're actually compiling our list right now and should start unveiling that in the next couple of weeks. So that's that's something to look out for. I kid. I know it's kind of crazy to do a hundred, but it. It's more so to just kind of give the readers an idea of some of these lower-level guys because sometimes they have breakout years, like Nito. Nito was way, way down in our preseason list last year, as he was on a bunch of people, and he had a breakout year, so now he's a top-20 prospect. So we kind of just want to give everyone a look at some of the guys they may not have heard of and just give them a little more info on guys that might, surprise someone this year so good stuff as always michael appreciate it have a great thanksgiving i'm sure we'll catch up before the uh off season is uh come to it comes to an end and we hit spring training be well and we'll talk soon awesome thanks mike and that's michael mayer you can check him out Mets miners of course and uh com. does a lot of great work over there hey we're going to take a quick break when we return i'm going to wrap up programming notes uh, blah 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 you know the deal you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast I'm your host Mike Silva you can check out the show all the time at MetsMarizedOnline.com send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you can get the show on SoundCloud iTunes and whatever podcasting service you desire we'll be right back hey Mets fans I'm going to let you in on a little secret if you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets then look no further than MetsMarizedOnline.com Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, Talking Mets podcast. Uh, Mike Silva here. Uh, some programming notes. So here's the deal. Next week is obviously Thanksgiving, a long weekend. Everybody's probably, uh, you, know, you know, who knows? These days, the day before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Eve has always been that nice, you know, long weekend for a lot of people. But everyone moves everything up. So maybe Tuesday is going to be the 
the, the day. It's like Thursday is the new Friday in the summer, and Tuesday will be the new Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, as far as the show, let, let's put it this way. You know, depending on where things go this week, and obviously, as I talked about in the opening, there's some smoke and about Cespedes and, and what have you. Um, you know, we'll see how the Sunday show goes. If not, then we'll probably push everything to the winter meetings, which would be, you know, kind of a preview show the week before, and we'll do something fun there. So just want to keep you guys in the loop. You know, if you come on next Sunday, hey, where's Mike? What's going on? You know, we're going to try to play some of this, especially on the holiday weeks by year, because you just don't want to keep repeating the same stuff. You know, the the content can go stale. And these shows, you know, something like we just did with Michael can 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 be fresh, unlike the regular season where things go like that, can be fresh for a little bit. So um, just wanted to put that quick programming note. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on the Cespedes situation. We'll keep an eye on what's going on with the Mets and Sandy Alderson. But I have a feeling um, this week, uh, as you get into the holiday, I'm not sure that anybody's going to commit to anything. I think you're going to see things uh, transpire as you get closer to the uh, winter meetings. Of course, I want to thank all of you for tuning in. I want to thank, thank Michael Mayer. Check him out at the main Mets on Twitter and at MetsMarizeOnline.com. There's a lot of Mets Miners stuff. Of course, you could check me out on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. And all the time, you can check this show out at MetsMarizeOnline.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, or whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Take care. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Oh